0: We can be motivated by, do we understand it? Cognitive, does this make sense? Can I see what I'm working toward? But if it lights a fire in someone as well, and I think this is one of the ways that I often explain the problem with traditional KPIs in an organization, without that extra thing, which isn't about like the hands, like the output you're creating, or the, the head element, which is the logical element of it, unless it's something that speaks to the heart as well. Then I think there's always an upper limit to how motivated people can be. And I wonder if, with that extra linkage, with that extra motivation, do you find that people are able to make better micro decisions and adjust course because they know what we're trying to achieve? Welcome to the Product Agility Podcast, the missing link between agile and product. The purpose of this podcast is to share practical tips, strategies, and stories from world class thought leaders and practitioners. Why? I hear you ask. Well, I want to increase your knowledge and your motivation to experiment so that together we can create ever more successful products. My name is Ben Maynard and I'm your host. What has driven me for the last decade to bridge the gap between agility and product is a deep rooted belief that people and products evolving together can achieve mutual excellence. And we welcome Raymond back for episode two of two, where we're gonna explore just what is a product designer. Now Raymond has a vast array of experience from medium to Salesforce to now being product design manager at Marketo. So when he referred an article to me explaining the role of product designer, I was intrigued. This is a really fascinating episode. It really focuses on the difference between UX and product design and how maybe product design is a natural evolution to UX. And we all know that good user experience is the key to product success and true product agility. So sit tight and enjoy the episode. Hello, we are here with Raymond for episode two of two, where in the first episode, we explored various topics around upfront work in a product company and how much is enough. We touched upon confidence in ideas and how do we build confidence in our ideas so we can decide to continue to fund them and create something of value. We know a lot about the work that Raymond does in Marquetta. And it was a fascinating and enlightening talk for me. I learned a whole heap and I hope you did too. So if you are interested in learning more about that, then please do check out episode number one. Now in episode two, we're going a bit more focused. At least that's the plan. And we're going to be looking at having a conversation around a particular article, Raymond, which you sent to me last night around how UX and UX designers are being rebranded as product designers. Is that a fair tease as to what the article was about, Raymond?
1: Yeah, I would say so, kind of like the evolution of the the discipline, right, and the practice as a whole. Yeah. And then we can talk about it in this Part 2 Electric Boogaloo, so
0: let's go. So I remember when I first came across UX as a thing 15 years ago, I think when I was working at Royal Bank of Scotland and we were developing a dashboard for traders and there was another organization we'd heard really positive things about this really attractive, easy to use dashboard. And so a friend of mine called Gavin Finlayson, who is now actually quite senior, I think at NatWest Bank leading up the human design function was like, we need to embrace UX and got some great people involved. and It was really fascinating, but it seemed to me that UX, at least in those early days, was something which wasn't really appreciated and was always dumbed down to being just drawing some pictures or maybe even to a certain extent, colouring in and the walls moved on a lot and what this article was suggesting that is and i think the way you pitched it was perfect right this evolution from the standard ux designer into kind of product design is this a journey raymond which you said it which you would say you have been on yourself a little
1: bit yeah because i mean i've been doing product design slash ux and all that for a couple of years now and when i was a little bit more junior i think there was a bit of a mix right some Companies would call it interaction design, UX design, and all that. And even if we go back even further, right? It used to be called human factors or human computer interaction, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I think. Yeah,
0: HC, I remember that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think. The discipline always evolves right, with time, with new technologies. And I think what the latest evolution represents is the role of design in the success of the organization or the business or the company. right? Because with the label product design, is, the implication is that, yes, you're designing, you're building things, but you're not building it in isolation. right? You're not just focused on the attraction design. You're not just focused on... The users but you're also considering the company or the organization's needs what that means for the design of your product and how to balance the business needs the user needs and the technology as well so I think in my mind that's that's how it goes
0: it does seem to be an interesting evolution and just the label I think when people think of UX I don't know is it fair to say people or when I think of UX historically it's quite a narrow skill and you're doing the user experience, and there are other people who will do other elements of it. But then you can't do that in isolation, can you? I think good UX people have probably always done a lot of the additional things that you mentioned. I think maybe now that it's becoming a much more widely accepted evolution, and hopefully is then going to help to elevate those people who are brilliant at UX into something which is more holistic. Then this definitely article does touch on that in order to make that a reality, there's a level of collaboration and interaction which has to happen with people who are outside of that traditional, narrowly focused UX world. You're going to need to involve other stakeholders in that conversation as a product designer.
1: Absolutely, right. I think the traditional kind of two-legged stool, right, product engineering and design, I think more and more design has to work closely with product and with engineering to build that ultimate solution. But yeah, I think that in many ways it's a positive, right? Because I think if you only focus on the craft or the interaction design or those pieces, in some ways you're putting blinders on, right? You're focused on certain things and this part of the product and this elements, this aspects. But what's the broader implications like what it is that you're trying to build, what the company needs, what is the goal, what is even like the system that you're working inside. For example, like if you're working and I'm making this up, but building solutions for civic tech or government tech, there's a whole lot of other system and bureaucracy and all that you have to take into account, right? You're not just building it in isolation. And same thing in payments, FinTech, which is where I'm at right now. You're not building things in isolation, right? You have to deal with uh, card networks, banks, financial institutions. So there's this whole ecosystem that you have to be cognizant of and know about in order to build solutions that make sense, that will be successful.
0: Would it be fair to say that, and I'm talking from my own personal experience here, that as a UX designer, you were almost expected to be able to walk into any context, learn about it, and then come up with something which was a lovely kind of no friction, no stress to the user design, which worked. It didn't matter if it was civic tech or legal tech or fintech. You're expecting you can go in there and do your job. But with product kind of taking this shift over to this other role, are you then saying that actually, let's say you're working in fintech, that actually then you end up building up, so much knowledge and skills within that kind of product designer role in a fintech environment that you'd find it you maybe wouldn't be able to easily get a job in a different industry are we saying that the context matters more as a product designer rather than just a ux designer
1: yes i think there's some fundamentals that you as a product slash ux designer should know right typography color theory all the basic stuff best practices if you will but like you said, having additional contacts and deeper knowledge in certain verticals, certain umbrellas, if you will, right? Whether you're working in payments or fintech or healthcare or media or whatever it might be helps. Doesn't mean that you can't then move to a different industry, if you will. But it does take a little bit of time to build up that knowledge, right? I came to market a payments fintech I had no experience or like no knowledge or background in fintech, yeah. but I came in and learned a little bit about it. And also there's still a little bit of connection because I used to work at Salesforce, which is a big enterprise company and building solutions for businesses, for enterprises, right? And a lot of the things that I learned there in that experience transferred over to my current role. So I think, yes, but I would also say that it's not completely the case. I think okay. it helps. Um, and I think there's a lot of learning that you can do as you're maybe moving industry or whatever, but a lot of the basics and a lot of the foundations you definitely need to have.
0: One of the things that then that article, and I'll put the link to the article in the show notes, also mentioned was that UX roles don't seem to be as prolific or they dwindle when economic times are hard. And what they're proposing is that then there is a, and i look at it now, but Yes, UX doesn't do well in weak economies, especially with tech layoffs. Do you think that's true? Have you experienced that firsthand that UX doesn't do well when the economy is weaker? I
1: have two minds about it. One, I will say that the evolution to product design from UX has happened before our current macroeconomic situation, condition, whatever you want to call it. But I also don't disagree with the fact that in leaner economic times, then yeah, you're probably going to be asked to do more and you have to maybe be able to wear different hats at different times, right? And expand your skill sets just because the companies or the organizations that you work with just don't have as much money to facilitate or enable those more particular or like specified roles, right? Maybe you're in the past, maybe you have like one UX designer and then one visual designer and then one researcher and then one design technologies or whatever might be i'm making this up but maybe now you're down to two and then maybe you're expected to do a little bit more research a little bit of this a little bit of that so i don't completely disagree with the the idea but i do think that it's happened even before the current economic condition so it's it maybe it helps accelerate it a little bit more but yeah
0: I can't see how – that's the wrong way of phrasing it. I can see how people can be really successful in a UX environment and not understand the business goals and objectives. But I also just think that anybody working in any kind of product or tech firm who is connected to the purpose and understands the bigger goal can't help but make better decisions about their job, whatever their job may be. And there's that awfully contrived and overused quote about the janitor was it in NASA near Apollo 11 missions? And when someone asked him what he was doing. He didn't say, I'm sweeping the floor. He said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon, which it's overused. But that's a nice way of articulating, I think, with the point that I'm trying to make here is that connection goes a long way.
1: Yeah, I think that's also what I'm finding more and more as a manager, right? You have to be able to make that connection between company goals, vision, and all that. And the work that you're doing and the work that your team is doing. Because then if you have that, then, you know, the folks on your team will feel like the work that they do matter, that it has an impact, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing this work. I'm building this feature, this product. Oh, and it results in X amount of revenue or like decrease of operational costs or whatever it might be. So, or new contract sign and this and that. So I think establishing that connection, that through line between the high-level goals, the company goals, and all that with the individual work is really important.
0: Why? I've got my own idea. But why, why? How are you finding that important then? Like what difference is it making for people?
1: Yeah, I think psychologically it matters, right? If you're doing the work and then you're not seeing the results of it, it feels it can feel demoralizing, right? Like you're doing a lot of work, maybe you're putting a lot of effort in it, but then it goes into the void. Like you're not hearing back. Even if it doesn't succeed, like maybe it fails, but you still see the connection. You might see that, hey, this did not work because of X, Y, and Z. So we can take that learning and then we can apply it for the next thing or this thing that I'm working on right now. But yeah, I think psychologically it, it's important to establish that connection because then it helps people get motivated and understand that what they do matters in terms of the company goals and our collective goals.
0: I agree totally with what you say, and I wonder if there's a you know, an emotional element to it as well, because absolutely, you know, we're but like, we can be motivated by the. the the, the psychological aspect like do we understand it cognitive does this make sense can i see what i'm working towards but if it lights a fire in someone as well and i think this is one of the ways that i often explain the problem with traditional like kpis in an organization or the very little i know about v2 mom which we mentioned in the previous thing it talks about values i think that without that extra thing which isn't about like the hands like the output you're creating or the head element which is the logical element of it unless it's something that speaks to the heart as well then i think there's always an upper limit to how motivated people can be and i wonder if have you ever found that with that extra linkage with that extra motivation that people get do you find that people are able to make better kind of micro decisions and adjust course because they know what we're trying to achieve and i say that thing bearing in mind the quote from david marquette on his video about leadership, when he says you want your people on the ground to be able to make decisions as if they were the CEO. Have you noticed that people are able to make some of those decisions then with that more of overall continuity between purpose and values and delivery?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think to plus plus 1, to what you're were saying, we're working with people, right? And people have their own biases their own thoughts their own feelings and i think the emotional aspect is definitely important as well and you're right i think establishing that connection and having them feel a little bit more motivated will encourage them to develop that ownership and that's what i definitely try to do with my team for the most part i'm not really involved in like the minutia of the day-to-day decision right maybe if it's somebody who's like an intern or like more junior i'm a little bit more hands-on but as they grow and mature in their career, then I slowly back away and let them take ownership of those decisions more and more. And my role is to support, to unblock, to give feedback and this and that. But I do agree. Because ultimately one once somebody has that feeling of ownership and responsibility and accountability, then they would care a lot more about the product area, the things that they're working on. And they would make careful decisions. They would be more cognizant of the impacts that that would have and ultimately hopefully it'll lead to better decisions and more careful decision making and of course it's not something that i'm completely hands off about but a lot of those like you said micro decisions have to happen on the individual level on the ic level
0: is it then a fair hypothesis that product designers over ux designers are given a greater opportunity to connect to the values and purpose of an organization because of the increased breadth of focus that the product design role entails.
1: I I could see that, yeah. I would also say that, I think, given the nature of product design as a discipline, designers tend to have a broader view anyway of the product and the company, right? Right versus like an engineering scrum team who might be focused on like one particular feature and that's really their main focus i think generally speaking design team and designers tend to have like a broader view and there's also a bit more flexibility in a way i guess in the way that we work we might jump from one product area to land a hand with the like a small effort that another designer is working on so there's that kind of like give and take back and forth and this also varies company to company, team to team. But at least in my experience so far, I have found that to be the case. And yeah, I don't disagree that I think designers could, given our role and the nature of what we do, could have a better connection and focus to the overall goals just because of our visibility in terms of what the different parts of the business or the company is doing. So
0: If there was anybody listening who likes the sound of his product design role, but they are in a UX role at the moment or looking for opportunities to grow. What could you recommend their their learning journey be from the stereotypical kind of UX designer into something which is more of a product design capability? Talk to your product people.
1: I think that's a great first step, kind of getting a better understanding of the features, the products, the ecosystem that you're working in, what you guys are trying to build, and start to build that muscle a little bit. Get involved in early discussions about the product and ideas. And I call it like the step zero process, right? What's the problem area? What is it that we're trying to solve? And then what is it trying to do in the context of the company or the organization? And how does it fit the product portfolio or whatever it might be? So I think that's a good step one. If you're not a designer to begin with, and you're trying to get into design, trying to build that basic level of skills, I think there's multiple ways to do that these days. You can go to school, take courses or boot camps and things like that. But build up that basic skill, I think. Mm-hmm. It's table stakes these days, having that basic level of like slash general design capabilities. Um, and then try to build use cases or projects. A lot of the projects that people do, especially like when you're a student or something like that, tend to be hypothetical and all that, right? Totally understandable, but... If there's opportunities for you to build something that's a little bit more real, maybe working with a small company, small business, or something like that, where there's like a more set of expectations and problems, that'd be great because I think that will make you stand out. Because it's easy to work in a hypothetical setting, right? Not encountering yeah. a lot of the problems that you encounter every day when you're trying to build products, whether it's technological constraints, time, pricing maybe the market itself, who you're trying to cater to. A lot of the day-to-day problem-solving situations that you have to deal with when you're building a real Mm. thing versus something hypothetical.
0: Have you got any suggestions for good entry-level courses into some of those kind of UX and design principles that you mentioned? Because I think that I've never worked in a team, with a team, who was creating something that was like a SaaS product where actually that team didn't benefit from having... Some of those skills. Now, a lot of the people learn them through osmosis, through being around really good people, and just being like, "Wow, okay, that makes perfect sense. Okay, like I understand that principle now." But I wonder if people are listening and they want to know where they can get some of those skills. Is there any particular course platform that you'd recommend? I
1: can send you some links uh, as well after the podcast. But some of the resources and books that came to mind is a book apart. Let me double check the link. But they have a ton of books and resources around designing and coding and writing and there's a lot of really specific topics as well. I'm just looking at the .com website right now. There's a book of X writing, for example, or user research. or So just like really particular aspects of design as a practice that I think sometimes get a bit overlooked in your UX 101 courses or like bootcamps and things like that. So I think these would be a good maybe supplement to your basic UX course.
0: And what was the name of that website? A book, apart. a book apart.
1: Yeah. So it's just one word. Okay, a great.
0: I will put that into the show notes. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. And I'll also send you a couple of other links after the podcast. Brilliant.
0: I'm looking at that now. It looks really interesting. Brilliant. Oh, look at that. Well, oh, Raymond, thank you very much for this conversation. I have enjoyed it once again. And I really hope that at some point we get to cross paths again in person. I will Absolutely. I will turn to you for some conference recommendations and I will make sure that we end up at the same one <laughs> at some point.
1: Absolutely. And definitely seeing more and more conferences opening up these days. Knock on wood, people are getting together again. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, so nice to be back doing things in person. Well, Raymond, thank you for this conversation. We've been exploring designer to product designer and also some of the opportunities that then perhaps arise from being a product designer and having a more holistic and maybe tighter connection to an organizational purpose and what that enables and individuals. But, Raymond, from your perspective as a manager, of professionals in this arena and what that connection to purpose allows them to do and how it allows you to grow your people so thank you very much for sharing all of that information with us if people did want to reach out to you and contact you to say hi what is the best way for them to do that
1: probably linkedin or twitter my username on both is the same is r-a-y-m-o-n-s-t it's just my first name and initials are my last name um. although at this point we don't know if twitter is still going to exist by the time that
0: <laughs> ah, the episode is out yeah so there's that a <laughs> <laughs> bit touch and go I'll, I'll put them in the show notes anyway but fingers crossed twitter still exists so, raymond thank you very much i yeah loved having you on the show and hopefully when the time comes we'll get you back for another conversation or something thank you again raymond thank you everyone for listening and you'll hear from us again soon Thank you all. And so ends our time with Raymond. He joined us for two episodes where we learnt so much about what it is to be a product designer, how it differs from UX. Now, Raymond Barkley-educated, award-winning human being was a joy to have on. And how are we going to follow that up? Well, ask yourself a question. Have you ever found yourself in a predicament where people are citing cultural differences as a reason why things aren't working? Have you ever found that different geographic regions... Just approach things differently. For a long time, I dismissed a lot of this, thinking that we're just humans and we can get along if we find something in common. Until I met David Spinks, our guest for the next couple of weeks. David and his partner spent time travelling the world, visiting product and agile teams globally to understand what are the differences, what are the nuances. This culminated in a book, and that book as well as his work he's done on product team collaboration from the backbone of the next two episodes. So if you have struggled with making things work across different cultural barriers, if you've wondered about product team collaboration, then these next two episodes are specifically for you and anybody you want to recommend them to. As always, thank you for listening. Let's draw this one to a close. I am Ben Maynard, and this is the Product Agility Podcast.